Well, there are different ways that we communicate with our children, aren't there? Those of you who are parents know. And there are two polarizing extremes for the way that we could talk with our kids sometime. Here's the extremes. There's a lot of ways that we could talk with them, but the extremes are casual instruction, and then on the other side, urgent warning. For instance, when I see Micah walk from the living room to the kitchen area and pull over a chair to the counter so that he could climb up and get access to whatever goodies he's looking to, to get, I might look over, chuckle inside a little bit. It's hard to not laugh at that moment, but say, hey, buddy, what's going on? Can your, your dad help you out, buddy? If you, you need something, you know, you know, you need to talk with your mom and your dad and, and ask us. But I'll be remained seated probably on the couch. That would be casual instruction to my child. But suppose then I'm sitting at the kitchen table and happen to glance out the window that overlooks our driveway and the street. And I notice Micah, who last time I checked was outside hanging out with his siblings, all of a sudden chasing a ball through the driveway into the street. And then from my view, I can see a car coming down the road as Micah is going in to the street. You could imagine my response, and that situation is a lot different than the other one. I'm not going to just sit there casually, hey, buddy, what's going on, you know, with soft voice in that way. Not, not at all. You better believe that I'm going to be on my feet, running towards him, screaming at the top of my lungs so that he might hear or the the driver might hear and I could intervene there in the pending danger. You see, that's the other extreme. It's urgent warning. We know the difference of that kind of thing. But as we begin our series here through the book of Galatians this morning, we're going to see really quickly that Paul was writing here this letter not to have a kind of casual, pen pal, chatty conversation, but to warn urgently, to plead with people he cared about deeply. As Timothy George helpfully put it, and I quote him, he says, Galatians is a tornado warning, so to speak. And I agree with Frank Thielman who, put, who said that Paul writes to the churches located in the province of Galatia. He said there were probably churches that Paul and Barnabas had founded on Paul's first missionary journey in the southern part of the province. Located in such towns as Pisidian, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. This is recorded in Acts 13 through 14. Their interactions With them. So Paul is writing to people he knew, to people he visited and cared about, knew their families, knew what was going on. 
people that he preached the gospel to earlier in his ministry. You see, the apostle Paul loved these people. But he was seeing them as they were crossing the street with oncoming traffic and could no longer sit idly by. But he had to sound the alarm. That's the context here of this letter. Paul meant serious business. As a parent, have you ever said, this is serious business, kids. Your mom and dad means serious business. Paul meant serious business here. And he was writing to multiple churches in this general area, churches who had been infected with false teaching and who began to swerve in the wrong direction away from the truth that Paul had taught them before. You see, Galatians here is a defense of the gospel. And it's his response, Paul's response to a false gospel. The stakes couldn't get any higher. And in case you think Paul might be exaggerating here, or if you're one to think that everyone should just get along when it comes to spiritual or doctrinal truths, we should just all get along, agree to disagree. I want us to realize here that what Paul is talking about comes down to life or death urgency. Because getting the gospel wrong equals a road to hell. And getting the gospel right equals a road to heaven. The churches he was writing were actually moving in the direction of believing a false and wrong teach, uh, gospel taught by these false teachers. And they were getting the gospel wrong, and Paul was writing to rescue them. Do you see the urgency of this letter? So he begins his letter getting directly to the point, reminding them of the great gospel he preached to them. Then he moves on right after that to confront them with their abandonment of that same gospel. And so since Paul writes this letter to warn, our points today will simply be two different warnings or two don'ts. And don't, number one, is this. Don't forget the good news of the gospel. Look with me now at Galatians 1 and 1 through 5 for this. Paul an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This good news gospel that we just read is so good, so wonderful, that it's hard to believe that anyone would want to move away from it. Isn't it? If you're a Christian here and you believe the gospel yourself, That means that you know this good news personally. 
And for you to deviate away from it, it would be unthinkable. It would be foolish even. Why? Because it's so good. Why would you want something other? Anything other is far, far worse. And believers in the churches in Galatia, not to get confused with Galatin, right? We got that right. Galatia, Galatin, heard the good news of the gospel from one of the few apostles of the church, Paul himself, who wrote 13 letters of the New Testament and who was an eyewitness of the resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who met him on the road to Damascus, as we see in the book of Acts. Paul, an authoritative apostle, preached the good news to these churches. And he begins his letter, you see here, reminding them of that good news that we just read. And we must not forget this great gospel message ourselves. And we must not forget the great God who accomplished this good news gospel for us. You see, that was the problem of the Galatian churches. They forgot this foundational truth. Paul was a spokesman, as we saw in the beginning there, of this great God. The same God and Father who rose Jesus Christ from the very tomb that he was buried in. This is a powerful God, isn't it? He's a powerful God. And this is a powerful gospel message. And why did Jesus die and have to be raised by the Father to begin with? Why? Why? We know this, right? As it says right there in verses 3 and 4 again, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. Do you see it? It's common for people today, isn't it? Maybe even yourself to lament how bad our world has gotten out there. From crime rates on the rise to political turmoil to moral degradation all around us. But I think that most of us underestimate how bad things really are. Paul here calls it the present evil Age. Did you pick up on that? And we live in this present evil age. And rather than pointing fingers all around everything that's wrong with us, think about this. We contribute. You contribute. Even if you're a believer to it. You yourself were caught up in this present evil age. You see, this had to do with you and your problem. How do I know that? The passage says that Jesus Christ, what, gave himself for our sins, what, to deliver us from this evil age, which means that we were trapped in this evil age. We were under this evil age. The Bible reveals to us in Ephesians that we were following the devil himself, the prince of the power of this age. Heir, prior to our conversions, you see, Jesus came because you were involved and caught up and in trouble in this present evil age. It's about you. It's about us. 
We were caught up in it. The Galatian readers in these churches were caught up in it as well. Now, does this mean that we are just out of luck in this present evil age? Not at all. Praise be to God, not at all. Why? Because they received grace and peace as this passage revealed. Just like you and I have received God's grace and peace as well. I don't want you to forget that. That was the Galatian church's problem. They forgot the grace and peace. Grace is unmerited favor of God. Unearned. Not because we were good or did anything good. Peace is the experience of rest and the removal of our guilt of sin and the hostility that we had with God. With that removed, there's peace. Without that removed, oh, there is no peace. It couldn't be further from peace. But it's removed if you're a believer. If you're a believer, do you realize that God has shown you undeserved grace that you you didn't deserve? And removed his wrath from you. So you are no longer his enemy believer, but his friend. That is good news. Consider Romans chapter 5 and verse 10. And it says this. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Each and every one of us in this room, if we're believers, are former enemies of God, now made friends. Don't forget the God of the gospel. Our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, has made peace with us as God the Father sent the Son, and the Son willingly gave his life for us and our salvation on the cross. And the Holy Spirit opened up our hearts to believe when we were first converted. Don't forget this God. As Galatians 1.4 says, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father. You, Christian, me as a believer, any other believer are the reason that Jesus had to give himself over to death. Even death on a cross, a horrible death. It is your sin, my sin, our sins, the Galatian believer's sin that Jesus gave himself over to death for. I want us all to think about how much sin we actually have this morning. How much sin did you have before you became a Christian prior to your conversion? And how much sin, if you're honest, do you have right now in your Christian life currently? And then how much sin will there be in the future? If you just consider that for yourself, that's pretty overwhelming. That's a lot of sin, just for one of us. When you start adding up every one of us, that's a lot, a lot, a lot of sin, isn't it? That's a lot. You see, Jesus gave himself... Because of all that sin, because of your sin, as a substitute for you, you deserved, I deserved, we deserved to be left alone to bear the consequence of our sins, our many sins in this present evil age. We just did. That's what we deserve. But Jesus, you see, intervened in this present evil age to rescue you, Christian, for you, 
believer. God the Father sent his son to the present evil age, not because you were good enough, not because we earned that kind of thing, but because his grace and mercy, as the text says. You didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. We deserved hell. The churches that Paul wrote to didn't deserve it. They deserved hell also. But Jesus, he gave himself. Think of the most generous thing that you've ever done for someone. Maybe you gave money. Or helped someone with a big home project free of charge. Whatever that most generous thing that you've done, think of it in your head. You didn't give your life for them. And get this, we will mostly do nice and generous things for people who are what? Nice and generous to us. But consider Jesus, who gave himself, not for nice and generous people, but for sinners like you and me. Not good people, but bad people. That's what the Bible reveals to us. And all of this is actually according to the will and plan of God the Father, as the text says here at the beginning of our letter, right here in these first few verses. And it's even prophesied about in Isaiah 53.10 as we learn that it was the Lord's will to crush the Son or the suffering servant. It's God's plan that Jesus should get punished for you and me. Do you see how good and wonderful that is? Undeserved. Mighty grace, amazing Savior. All we can say about this gospel, dear believers, and all we can do in response to this is exactly what we see Paul doing here in verse 5, and that is praising God, praising Him for all that He's done. And verse 5 says this, To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. That is the only appropriate response. Don't forget the God of the gospel. Don't forget to glorify him. You see that the God of the gospel is the only one who saves you and is fully deserving glory. Not you or me. We can't take any credit in this world. We can't take it for ourselves. We don't get a pat on the back for doing a good job, but it's the opposite. When it came to you and my salvation... What did we do? All we did was get caught up in the present evil age and sin and sin and sin and sin. That's all we bring to the table. But you see here, the God of the gospel did everything, everything necessary for our salvation. Don't forget it, church. Paul begins his letter urgently reminding the Galatians of this great God and his wonderful good news gospel message. If you're tempted to be proud this morning at all, to think, man, is God lucky to have me on his team. Stop right away. There is no place for that. It's God who gets all the glory for you forever and ever. Amen. Amen? Not you. He's the one who saved you. You didn't save you. 
Does your testimony, when you share it, reflect that? Or is it like, well, I, look at this is what I did and all these wonderful things and how I was better than this person or that person. I mean, sometimes we might not say it like that, but the way we think about our testimonies is just so me-centered when our testimonies in reality should be God-centered. You were just wrapped up in the present evil age. So was I. He rescued us. That's every one of our conversion testimonies if we're believers. All we did was mess things up. All he did was everything, and I mean everything, necessary for us and for our salvation. He rescued you, dear Christian. Don't forget the God of the gospel and give him glory alone. But that's the problem here, isn't it? We forget this crucial point sometimes, don't we? This leads us to our second and final point here. And don't number two, don't be a gospel deserter. Look with me now in verses six through nine for this. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ, and are returning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. I've titled our series Gospel-Centered Justification because it's the good news of the gospel that is at stake here in the book of Galatians. I said earlier that it's unthinkable that we should abandon the good news because of how really good it is. We just saw it. It's so good. I I hope we could see the contrast between these two points. The glory of the true gospel that we see in verses 1 to 5. I want you to see how good that is. It's amazing. I want you to feel it for yourself. Right now, feel the gospel reality for yourself and how good it is for you. Because you see here, the churches of Galatia were walking towards the street with the oncoming false gospel car speeding right toward them and even making contact with them and hurting them presently. It was infecting them at that moment, which is why the urgency of the apostle Paul. And if they didn't act soon, and if they didn't repent, they would perish in their sins for deserting the gospel message they first believed. They were in the process of deserting it. They were in the process of turning away, apostasy, turning away from their former profession and heading in a different direction. Praise God that even people who seem to be going in the wrong way can be warned and Reminded and set back a right in the right direction, which is what the Apostle Paul was doing here. But you see, they were 
deserting their former profession that they had heard before. They had given ear to a false gospel that was different than that true gospel that they heard when they first believed. Christians here at our church, I want you to see this and learn from their error. Don't wander from the true gospel that you first believed in. Don't waver. We know the good news of the gospel, don't we? Jesus was born and went on and lived a perfect life without sin, and then he died a substitutionary death in our place, and then rose three days later, indicating that everything he had done was accepted by God the Father, and he accomplished our salvation there in the cross. But that good news gospel doesn't become good news to you and me until a specific time when we come to realize that, right? So, So how do we come to know that good news for ourselves? Well, it becomes good for us when we hear it or read it for the first time and then believe it. That gospel message permeates our life when we hear it and then we respond to it. You see, the churches in Galatia, they had heard the gospel from Paul and they had responded to it and seemed to be believing it. It was all about Jesus for them when Paul was there. And it was all for God's glory when Paul had visited them. They started off with that reality. But here's the thing. Some false teachers came to town after Paul and Barnabas had left. And they began to question Paul and to call questions about him and to question his credentials. And we're going to see that the next few weeks about what they were saying about Paul to kind of discredit him. And they proceeded to tell them that there was a different response to Jesus that they needed to perform other than what Paul had told them before. They said that there was something different here about this gospel message. You see, Paul preached to them the good news of the gospel, the God of the gospel who did everything necessary for their salvation. Nothing added. And he taught that the only way a person was forgiven by God and made right before a holy God was by actually believing themselves in the good news of the gospel and trusting Jesus Christ alone. That is the only way a person receives that good news of the gospel. That right there is gospel-centered justification that Paul had put forward to them. If you're a Christian, that means you and I are made right before a holy God or justified. To be justified is to be made righteous or right before a holy God. We are made right the moment we first believe this good news of the gospel. The churches believed that or said they believed that at one point, but then they abandoned it and left when the other teachers kind of snuck in and taught to them a new message. And it says that Paul was astonished even that they were so quick 
to desert and move away from the God of the gospel. It happened really fast. He's like, what in the world is going on? You believe this wonderful message. What's happening? Why would you do this? You were so quick to desert it. This God called them in grace and peace. They turned away from grace and peace towards a different gospel. What a slap in the face to God. They abandoned ship. Like the Israelites in the wilderness, after they were delivered by God and Moses went up the mountain. How quickly did they desert the God who rescued them to pursue idols? So quick. If you're a believer today, or claim to be a believer in the gospel, don't go away from it ever. Don't desert it ever. Don't be like the soldier who jumps ship and leaves his post. A professing Christian can be tempted and drawn away from the gospel they once believed to another gospel. I want to warn you, as the Apostle Paul warned And as the Apostle Paul experienced, quick deserters, former believers, quick deserters of the gospel to another gospel. Now, it's not that there are different gospels. There's only one good news gospel, right? Paul makes it clear here there's only one gospel message. He's not saying there's more different good news gospels, only one, but they were messing up the gospel, so he's calling it a different gospel, a false gospel, a fake and phony gospel. Gospel. I've been seeing some of your posts in social media of a rainbow. And I think some have joked about the pot of gold at the end of a rainbow. The gold, true gold, is like that true gospel. What these false teachers were doing was a false and fake gospel that kind of looked like it, but was really just those gold-wrapped chocolate pieces, right? How many of you, if you saw that when there's a rainbow, you'd be like getting a little excited, but then you realized there, there was nothing of substance there? It's not what it seemed. That's what this false gospel was that was coming in looking like the real gospel, but really just being a fake. It was a deception, And you see this false teaching, it all surrounds this topic of justification or how a person is made right before God. The false teachers were ruining the foundation that the Apostle Paul had laid before with the true gospel. Paul said that the answer about how a man or woman is right before God is by grace alone, through faith alone, In Christ Jesus alone. The false teachers were messing things up on this doctrine of justification. And those of you who are familiar with church history know that this whole topic of justification, of how a person is made right before God, was a huge aspect of what the reformers were battling over years ago. Consider the reformer Martin Luther and his words about this important doctrine. He says, for if we lose the article of justification, we lose all things together. Therefore, most necessary it is, chiefly and above all things, that we teach and repeat this article continually. 
Luther goes on to say, for it cannot be beaten into our ears enough or too much. In typical Luther fashion, he wants to beat it into our ears. He wants to bring it up. He wants to warn and warn and warn and warn, to remind, to remind over and over again. So how is a man or woman made right before a holy God? By God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. How are we made right? Say it with me, church. By God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone. That was Paul's gospel that he taught to these churches in his first missionary journey. And he taught throughout his whole ministry. But they abandoned it for a new and flashy message from teachers who were adding things to that basic gospel message. What happens when you add ingredients to an already perfect recipe? What happens? Well, it gets ruined. It becomes tainted. It becomes nasty. It's not what it is supposed to be. We will see throughout our series, and you can look at your handout that I had mentioned earlier, that we are headed towards a path through the book of Galatians to be reminded about this gospel message in contrast to the false. We're going to see in various ways throughout our series, these false teachers, or they're regularly called Judaizers, were adding to the gospel. They were adding to it. They taught that people were made right before God or justified in a new way that Paul never preached to them or taught. It was contrary to the authoritative apostolic gospel. These false teachers were referred to as Judaizers. I want to define my term because that's a weird name there that we don't normally hear. Because they're called that because they added to the simple beliefs of the importance to trust Jesus alone. They added requirements of also keeping and going back to the Jewish or Mosaic laws. Hence the term Judaizers. Does that, does that make sense? They were adding, they were, you need to... It's not just Jesus, but you've got to go back towards these laws in these ways. You see, these false teachers were legalists. Adding to the free grace of the gospel the requirements of certain law-keeping in order to be justified or made right before God. Not gospel-centered justification the false teachers put forward. They put forward law-centered justification, which was no justification at all as Luther put it, and as the Apostle Paul put it, because it was twisted or perverted. It was another different false gospel. Paul was so serious about protecting against any change in the true gospel that he pronounced judgment even on any teacher who preached a different gospel message than he preached originally. Judgments. We looked at this gospel of God, the God of the gospel in our first point. And we explored here now this gospel-centered justification. But Paul, you see, gives this stern warning, and I'm going to read it again from verses 8 and 9, and I want us to see this. He says, But if even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, So now I say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. 
So I hope we could see here that adding anything to grace through faith in Christ alone is worthy of actually calling that person or those people who add to it, calling them people who are accursed or on their way to hell. Accursed, anathema. You want to add a little bit of your own goodness and your own good, good deeds to the gospel? Accursed. You want to add a little bit of law-keeping to that gospel message, just do this or that? Accursed. You add anything to this gospel of God's grace for our justification, it leads to a curse. It leads to the proclamation from an apostle who says, no, rather than what you're teaching and who you think and who you're saying that you are, rather than you being this good teacher, trying to point in the right direction, Paul says, no, you are accursed. You're on your way to hell. You've abandoned the gospel. This is serious stuff. Paul even said, if an angel should preach a different gospel than I preached to you originally, even an angel comes. What does Paul say? If even an angel does that, that angel is hellbound, accursed, anathema. Paul is making judgments that these Judaizers were preaching a different gospel who were saying that these Christians needed to submit themselves under the law like, like to be circumcised, as we'll see, or other things in order to be saved. They were adding to the gospel. But Paul is reminding the Christians in the churches of Galatia that this new teaching was false teaching and that all these teachers were what? Hell-bound. Serious stuff. And I want to say this to you. This gospel message is exclusive. This gospel message is the only way to salvation. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There's, there's no other way. There's no other gospel. Every other religion outside of Christianity gives the wrong answer to the question of how a person is justified or made right before a holy God. Just think about them now, they, they, they give the wrong answer to that. They have the wrong gospel, false message. Now, I don't care if someone's religion was founded by supposed revelation from an angel himself. If the answer was different than the grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone, if it was different than the apostolic gospel that Paul preached, then let that false gospel, false religions, false Cults be accursed or anathema, as Paul says. Serious. This may seem so harsh to our ears. To call someone's beliefs out and to say about someone that they're on their way to hell, that they're hellish, that seems so extreme and, and mean. and we, we could push back on that kind of thing. But I hope you could see here that Paul's serious warning away from the true gospel is not a light matter at all. This is no laughing matter. This is no light matter. The problem is in our culture, everything for us is so light. Light-hearted, not a big deal. We don't take a lot of things seriously in this culture. So when someone comes in and is serious, it, it gets us. But this was not a light matter. This is not a slight offense. This is not an area, the gospel, it's not an area that we can just agree to disagree kind of thing. 
I hope you could see that. Not just the moving the chair over to the kitchen for some goodies, but life-threatening danger in the street. The heart of the gospel is at stake, as Luther put it. And if we get justification wrong, we get the gospel wrong. These are serious matters. And we're going to continue to see that throughout our series and be reminded about it ourselves. And though it seems unlikely that after hearing the good news of the grace and peace of God, that anyone ever would abandon it, right? Why would they? It's so good. It's wonderful. We were glorying in it earlier in our first point. Why would they abandon it? It's unthinkable. But I want us to see here, up front, how sobering it is. And realize that if the churches of Galatia were quick to desert the gospel of justification, when false teachers came around, and they were, after none other than the apostle Paul himself preached the true gospel to them prior, are we immune here in Gallatin when we've learned the gospel even from lesser preachers than Paul, of course, though we've heard the apostolic gospel. But are we immune? If the churches in Galatia could swerve and get off track, are we immune from it? I want to see the series as a way to be warned and reminded and protected and put back and turned back to the gospel so that we would not abandon faith and shipwreck our faith. I plead with you, church. Don't forget the God of the gospel. And don't be a gospel deserter. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you've revealed in this very serious letter from the Apostle Paul. We thank you, Lord, that he did not shrink back, but he warned when he saw danger. Help us all to be warned away from any of the false gospels that may be competing with us today in our lives, in our families, in our homes, in our church. Oh God, help us to be reminded of the true gospel. And not only to be reminded, but to be so thankful to you for your grace and and your peace that you've given us. Help that not just to be something we think, but something we believe with all our heart, that we would believe what we know and that it would make a difference in our lives. Be with us as we embark this journey through this great letter, O God, and help us, help us to grow and to love your gospel more and more. We say this in Christ's name. Amen.